재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Inviting an array of cultural luminaries to share and discuss books that have inspired and moved them Talk it up It's time for Talk It Up. During this segment, we'll invite an array of cultural luminaries to share and discuss books that have inspired and moved them. Joining us today are Korean literature translators Anton Her and Sophie Bowman. Anton is a writer and literary translator. His translation of Genesis by author Jeon Samhae is now out on wordswithoutborders.org. Sophie is a translator and graduate student of Korean literature. She's the grand prize winner of Korea Times Literary Translation Award. Hi, Anton and Sophie. Hi. Hi. By the way, I'm Anton and she's Sophie. <laughs> yeah. In case, in case anyone was wondering out there. Um, what's new with you, Anton? Oh, um, I'm just nothing really. I'm just getting the rights to translate from a whole bunch of writers and it's mm-hmm. like pulling teeth. But mm-hmm. um, I'm persevering, writing a lot of emails and not translating. But yeah, that's the life. Wait, is the pulling teeth part because of the writers or the publishers? It's, I don't want to say on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I love okay. both. I love you publishers. I okay. love you writers. Please yes. reply to my email. Okay. <laughs> If you're listening, please respond to Anton Her's emails. Sophie, what's new with you? Uh, I'm good at today. I've just come back from a trip to Denmark. Mm-hmm, that's right. You've been uh, dazzling the Danes with your academic acumen. <laughs> Ooh, good job. <laughs> Something Thank you. like that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I went to a graduate student conference over there mm-hmm. for Korean studies, and it was really, really great, really mm-hmm. interesting. What did you present on? Uh, I was talking about apartments. Uh, apartments, yeah, Yay. like we talked about before. Uh-huh. Yeah. Great, great, great. So the theme of paternity surge, which is the theme for today, is prevalent in many narratives, both in the East and the West. Star Wars comes to mind. One of the favorites, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oedipus. Uh-huh. Old But, boy. Right. But in, in Korean literature and movies, obviously, like it's, a, it's a huge, huge issue because mm-hmm. um, we were sort of talking about why this was such a big issue and... My theory was that, well, you know who your mother is because <laughs> <laughs> you come out of your mother. But right, right. It's, it's not always sure in you know, right. pre-immunosynthesis times mm-hmm. whether... Oh, um, what is that word? Oh, it's when you check the paternity. It's from Melrose Place. So uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the extent of my medical knowledge. Uh-huh. So, so that's like DNA testing. Right. So okay. you, don't, you don't always know who your father is. So that, and if you look at, like, for example, Victorian literature or mm-hmm. 18th century literature, it's all about paternity and who mm-hmm. was the father and also mm-hmm. who was the mother. and, you know, trying mm-hmm. to find out what the secret of this character is. Right, right. Because I think um, back in those days, who your father was more important in determining your station. Yeah, your too, status. Right? So mm-hmm. things like, you know, if you, your father was a young man, that was the only way to be ah, a young man. And also okay. your mother kind of should be, but uh-huh. there were ways to get around that in, in old Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and also, you know, things like inheritance and right, right. Um, yeah, all sorts of things who you could marry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Do you guys um, have any famous or favorite paternity search narratives that you can think of? Um, it's not a Korean work, though. Okay. I like it by its possession mm-hmm. because there's a twist at the end as to, oh, this is the father of this person. It's very Victorian, okay. and, but it's a modern novel and it's, it's very enjoyable. Everyone read it. And what was the title again? Possession. Possession, okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know any other narratives apart from the one we're talking about today, which is really? uh, one of my favorites. But okay. I do know some true life stories. Some okay. friends kind of turned 18 and found out their dad had a massive business. And wow. Then oh. they got a flat in London and this kind of thing. But 
They uh, got a flat in London? Yeah, we were oh so my jealous. Goodness. But, you know, it doesn't happen every day. So. Okay. But it happened to so someone you knew. Up, guys. Yeah. yeah wow. Why does paternity surge keep cropping up in Korean fiction narratives in particular? Like a soap opera, is it a soap opera tradition? Or is there something about this narrative that resonates with Korean audiences? So you guys notice how everyone in Korea has the same last name? Or there are very few last names in Korea. And um, I think part of this is because when they got rid of the feudal system, a lot of people who are on the lower Mm. parts of the feudal system, they simply picked up whatever aristocratic or yangban names that happen to be around. Yeah. Kwan. Yeah. So like, you know, I'm a Kimeher, but am I really? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you you just never know. And then Uh during modernization, you... Uh, before modernization, during the feudal period, people who are like adults in, in, the, in a lower caste, they would have to use chundama or polite Korean to like children of upper castes. Like oh, it was a very clear okay. division. You know, there was no mixing. And then you would have all of these, after feudalism was gone, all these hordes of people would move around Korea and then pretend to be, oh, I was born Yangban. Uh-huh. Like that's the kind of thing that they would do. And so there was a huge sort of shift in Korea as to like social system hierarchy and, you know, um, faking your father your paternity in order mm-hmm. to move up in in society mm-hmm. and that kind of moving around carried on right so things like the korean war meant that people were really displaced right right and um you know you could be brought up with a father who you know met your mother after the war and this kind mm-hmm. of thing um and i think this kind of really crops up in korean literature a lot because of the whole kind of paternity uh what what's it paternalistic patrilineage okay um, <laughs> this kind of the sense of the bloodline is very very strong mm-hmm. so um uh things like inheritance and status as we were talking about earlier right. they were you know pretty much the same until the 1990s those those laws were kind of unchanged so mm-hmm. But also, you guys were mentioning the war earlier about um, being displaced. I think because so many fathers died in the war back in the day, it was also easy for mothers to tell their children, your father died in the war. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then one day your father turns up. (gasps) And gives you a flat. In London. London. (laughs) (laughs) So today's story by Lee Hyo-seok is... 메밀꽃 필 무렵, or when the buckwheat flowers bloom. This is a very popular story that um, everyone who has ever studied Korean literature has read. But tell us about it anyway. This story, to describe the story to you, first of all, it's um, it's an old story. It was published in the 1930s. And so when you, re- when you first start reading it, all, the, all students are like, I can't read this. This is very old and anti- antiquated Korean. And then you get to a certain passage in the story. And mm-hmm. then it's like, whoa, this is the most beautiful Korean writing that I've ever experienced in my life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who are not literary, who never read novels mm-hmm. as adults to this day, still remember that passage because it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a very simple story. It's uh, about this wandering sort of peddler mm-hmm. who goes from market to market, market day to market day. And he discovers this, and he befriends this younger peddler, mm-hmm. who, and that he reminisces about this woman that he met one night in a and, barn. In a barn, <laughs> and it turns out, or it's strongly implied that mm-hmm. the that the young peddler is his son, and mm-hmm. then the story sort he of does ends. some math, and then yeah. Um, so you were mentioning the um, excerpt earlier. Can you give us the excerpt, the the one that everybody recognizes? I can. It's very short, mm-hmm. and um, I did my own translation, which is not going to be as good as the original. But here we go. It's going to be great. <laughs> the road was now hung over the shoulder of a hill. 
Whether it was because of the night, one could hear in the deathly calm silence the sound of the moon's beast-like breath, as if it could be grasped by the hand. The pods of the beans and the leaf stalk of the corn were touch-tinged with blue from the moonlight. The hill was covered in buckwheat, and their flowers that were beginning to bloom, and the sight of the sprinkled salt underneath the moon was enough to take one's breath away. I remember um, reading that last sentence, like getting to that last sentence in the, the salt part. Mm-hmm. In the story, I'm thinking, wow, this is so original. Of course, you know, I was in the seventh grade. What did I know? But it's like, <laughs> wow, that was so original. I mean, we live in the city, so we don't really notice it. But I, in 2000, a uh, long time ago, I went to the islands in Thailand, in mm-hmm. Koh Chang. And then there were no buildings, no, no nightlights. And I looked up at the sky and there are far more stars than you can ever imagine mm, if you right. grew up in the city. Mm-hmm. So, it, and it really was like, like spilled salt on black satin. It was just mm-hmm. amazing. And I remembered this <laughs> this scene. It's like, oh, it, it really is like that. Yeah, that is the power of Yihosok. Yes. Um, so there's some f- very famous backstory about this. Well, not backstory, but after story about this passage, right? Can you tell us about that? This passage is used in uh, typing tutorials, in the most famous Korean typing tutorial mm-hmm. ever. So if you're of my generation and you learn how to type on, on, uh, on like the really first, like, Sampalyuk 386 processor computers mm-hmm. and so you so you know where this pass so you sort of you've written this passage before uh-huh. this was the excerpt that revealed his more literary side right what was he like before he was more political mm-hmm. at the same time like there i think there are about there's sort of loosely three periods of his writing one is sort of sort of complacently a part of the Japanese machine because he worked for the uh, Japanese colonial administration. Mm. And uh, an essay that he wrote at the time, I remember reading in as a in college entrance student and my teacher had cut out the last sentence of the essay because it made him so angry. It was about Quante, it was about boredom. Uh-huh. And he was writing about how bored he was in the last, and this was during the period where, you know, independence fighters were getting slaughtered and whatnot. Right. And so Other last, people were not bored. Right. right. And the last line was, I'm so bored, I think I will go skiing this weekend or uh-huh. something. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> he just like, just uh-huh. like scratched it out. Uh-huh. So, and then he, and then he realized the error of his ways and then uh, he wrote more social literature, and then he, but then he moved on to more uh, what quote unquote pure literature, sunsumunak, what we call in Korea, mm-hmm. because um, his wife and his daughter were both very sick, mm. and he needed to make money. And, okay. um, and pure literature was a way to make money, right? It was a way to you know to talk about uh, Korea, but at the same time to avoid censorship mm-hmm. and to make money. I suppose mm-hmm. the really unfortunate, tragic thing is that both his wife and daughter ended up dying anyway. Oh. And he, uh, the last years of his life, he was thinking, he was said to have thought that, oh, why did I do all that? Why did I betray my nation? For I did it for nothing. Mm. So, very sad story. Mm -hmm. But he was criticized back in um, 1936 when this story came out for writing this pure literature, right? Mm -hmm. Was was the reason because... um, I guess literary critics back then believed that it was more worthwhile for him to dedicate his writing talents to the independence movement. Is that why he I was think criticized? So. There was a very big division between uh, socially socially conscious quote unquote literature and mm-hmm. pure literature. Mm-hmm. I uh, mean, it was also heavily censored too. Yes, right. Yes, nowadays the distinction between uh, pure literature and social literature it's just it, it's not really done because we mm-hmm. can read. We, because, for example, Yun Dongju, who is 
not a resistance poet, resistant poet, quote unquote, but we can still read out things that are of resistance and things that he, like the feelings he was trying to preserve that people at the time felt. This was a form of subversion and a form of resistance. Mm -hmm. And nowadays we have those kinds of sophisticated readings. But back then they were more about, we have to bring, you know, reading to the people and literacy to the people and we Mm -hmm. have to bring awareness. Educate them. Yes. So there was more of a a bigger division between a more clearer division between pure literature and Mm -hmm. socially conscious literature yeah but when you think about the independence movement and um living in a colonial society um vis-a-vis the paternity search narrative like couldn't we say that fatherlessness was perhaps a metaphor i mean there were lots and lots of um literature that was produced during the japanese colonial period that um had to do with losing one's mother or losing one's one's guardian parent king lover and so on yeah, I think we can read this kind of narrative in, in that kind of way. Um, I think that we can add that reading these kinds of works today, the fact that it was written in Korean at all in mm-hmm. that time is actually a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this kind of absent father is, is very common in also in writings from the Cap kind of uh, writers as well. So this idea of kind of being left alone in the wild mm-hmm. um, is, is very common, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, one of the ways to like push this narrative was perhaps to um, pick a more pure literature. <laughs> we keep using that word, um, like go the pure literature route because people would actually read it, right? Because like this story like grabs you from the get go, right? And you actually have an excerpt from the very beginning of the story, right, Sophie? Ah, uh, yeah, I can tell you how it opens. It's mm-hmm. quite a nice description of market day. Okay. In, a, in a Korean town. Every peddler who made the rounds of the countryside markets knew that business was never any good in the summer, and on this particular day, the marketplace in Bongpyeong was already deserted, though the sun was still high in the sky. Its heat, seeping under the awnings of the peddler's stalls, was enough to sear your spine. Most of the villagers had gone home, and you couldn't stay open forever just to do business with the farmhands who would have been happy to swap a bundle of firewood for a bottle of kerosene or some fish. The swarms of flies had become a nuisance, and the local boys were as pesky as gnats. So that's a really um, nice, colourful um, depiction of market day and like how does one not relate to this this sort of a story that opens with something like this and I think in a way if you were a fan of literature back in 1936 I think you would have welcomed the opportunity to read a story written by a Korean person that opens with this yeah. as opposed to we have to fight right Mm-hmm. The one of the purposes of literature like this, um, especially now, and I'm sure Sophie uh, feels this as a scholar, is that it's it preserves a certain way of life, uh, and it preserves uh, certain interiorities that are lost f- forever. Now, for example, there's a part here where there's a donkey in heat, mm-hmm. and just the way that there are these children around the donkey, how they react in a very sort of casual way. Mm-hmm. And like there, there are these hints of, for example, uh, what people thought of sexuality back then mm-hmm. and what how people thought of um, business back then or like even, uh, and how people thought of, like all of these details, all of these hints are sort of preserved in stories like this. So in a, in a lot of ways, they're more socially real than social mm-hmm. realist fiction, I feel. Mm-hmm. And what did you like about the excerpt, Sophie? 
Mm, it just feels very real. Mm-hmm. I think the way it's described is very nice. The translation um, is by Kim Jong-un and Bruce Fulton. I mm-hmm. think they did quite a good job as well. I remember mm-hmm. um, in my one of my first translation classes, we were looking at this piece oh, of writing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was like, what's all the fuss about? What's all the fuss about? And then I got to that excerpt that Anton read and I was like, oh, okay, that's why this is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. But then going back to trying to translate these first few sentences, you kind of realise there is actually a lot going on here and mm-hmm. he's using language in a really nice way. Yes, and he's packing a lot of images into this very short paragraph. Well, yeah, that, and that's mm-hmm. the kind of thing that you can do with a short story, isn't right. it? That's the beauty of all of these kind of Korean writings where they've really kind of concentrated on what words they're using and how they're describing things Mm -hmm. it's quite a challenge for a translator too but it's good fun and it's over in a couple of days so it's okay (laughs) (laughs) so how do they find each other or find out about each other so um hosing one's donkey is going crazy Mm -hmm. and so that was the donkey in heat yeah okay and then well i think the donkey's a man and he sees a donkey in heat or something anyway okay. uh, but Tongi kind of comes and tells him like man you've got to come and save your donkey mm-hmm. and um, he had been angry at him before for some other reason but then they kind of make up and make friends and they make this journey the three of them the three characters mm-hmm. from the market that they were at um, to the, the marketplace for the next night right. uh, for the next day mm-hmm. so they're walking through the night by the light of the moon these mm-hmm. three um, men and as they kind of reminisce on their past days mm-hmm. um it turns out that Tongi was born uh, to a woman from where uh, Ho had spent the night with someone, okay. but that they'd had to run away from their town because of uh-huh. kind of different things. And all these clues kind of add up and add right. up and add so, up. See, this is the danger of swapping stories with strangers. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You get you find your ideas. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and then at the very end, it turns out that they're both left-handed. Okay. And this is like the final... <laughs> <laughs> it's his dad. <laughs> So this is the, uh, the the left-handedness is um, a 1936 version of a DNA test. Yes. So okay. if you went to... It's a 50-50 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even back then, apparently, they knew that left-handed wasn't genetic. But uh-huh. the thing about this, if you went to high school in Korea, you will know that um, this is an example of poetic license. Okay. So they will underline... Is that why we read this story? So we could come across an example of poetic license? It's, it's one of the things. Okay. It's one of the things they're like, you have to expect this on the test, and they'll have a passage of the of this part, uh-huh. and then they'll underline mm-hmm. um, left-handedness, and then they'll go, what is this an example of? A, something, something. B, mm-hmm. something, something. C, poetic license. And, oh, mm-hmm. that's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you were supposed to do. And so what happens as a result it's, of the left-handedness? So oh, it's, it's like- implied that they go to see the mother, but uh, Ho Seng-won doesn't let on that oh, you might be my son. Mm-hmm. Tongi still doesn't know. Right, okay. yeah. We're supposed to sort of imagine what, what is not spoken. Uh-huh. But they've mm-hmm. like warmed to each other and okay. they kind of want to help each other out, I think, is the feeling. Yeah, so. <laughs> Yeah. there's a, there's this image of him, uh, Tongi, carrying Ho Seng-won on his back. Oh, so, uh, why? Out of the river because he fell into the water. So um, there's okay. sort of paternal image there. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, that a, is that a metaphor? I think so. There are a lot of very okay. subtle hints like that. For example, mm-hmm. like everything happens under the moonlight, and mm-hmm. you know the moon is very feminine. Mm-hmm. So it's like and he falls in water. Mm-hmm. That's like baptism, right? Rebirth, and, yeah. As a father, yeah. And there's a river which go- comes from one place to another. It's like uh-huh. a link between father and son, and <laughs> uh-huh. a lot of very subtle things going on, uh-huh. right? Well, we're nearly out of time. Thank you both so much for coming in today, and enjoy your Sunday. Yeah, enjoy your Sunday. You too. (laughs) 
As for our listeners, please enjoy the last waltz featured in the film Old Boy. And when we come back, it will be time for a must-read Korean book.